0: Good morning, it's good to see you again. Uh, I'm Roy McDaniel. I've been here once before. I think I've met several of you then. Uh, But I'm coming to you from Madison. That's where I live. Uh, Huntsville and Westminster Christian (coughs) Academy is where I work. And uh, also at Westminster Presbyterian Church. So again, I'm I'm glad to be here. Uh, When I was in high school, these bracelets uh, that said WWJD on them got really popular. I'm sure that you've seen them stands for, What Would Jesus Do? Well, today I want to ask a similar question. Uh, What would Jesus sing? I think a good answer to that is that he would sing the Psalms. Jesus would have sang the Psalms growing up in the synagogue. Uh, This would have been part of his worship, is to, to know and sing these Psalms. More importantly, though, or at least more importantly for what I'm going to say today, Jesus fulfills the Psalms. In Luke 24... Uh, Jesus meets his disciples on the road to Emmaus, and they're confused, and Jesus explains to them how his suffering and resurrection fulfills Scripture. It fulfills everything written in the law and the prophets and in the Psalms, he says. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection fulfills the Psalms. How does it do so? Well, in some senses, they're direct prophecy, but more than that, Jesus fulfills the pattern of the Psalms. There's, There's a pattern all throughout the Psalms of suffering, and then glory, of trial, and then triumph. It follows, when you read through the whole Psalms together, it starts with all these laments early on, and then it leads to praise, as the Son of David is exalted. Well, that's the story of Jesus, and that's what we're reading today. The Psalms are historical, and we're going to read Psalm 40, and it's a historical Psalm about a situation David faced, but it's also prophetic. It speaks to what Jesus would face. And so my purpose for us today is to imagine uh, this song, Psalm 40. Imagine it being sung by Jesus so that we can see something about what it means to follow Jesus. Specifically, so that we can see something about what it means to endure suffering with Jesus. So I will pray for us, uh, and then I will read Psalm 40. Let's pray. Father, would you bless reading of your word and my preaching and my words. Father, we want to see your face and hear your voice. Would you allow that to happen by your word and spirit and allow us to respond in faith and obedience. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. From Psalm 40, this is God's word. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me And heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book, it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay. Oh, my God. This is God's word. How do we endure suffering? Uh, there are lots of psalms about that. It's a question we ask often. Lots in the Bible about that. Well, apparently, given how many psalms are about it, given how, many, um, how much of the biblical material deals with this question, it seems to be something God wants us to think about. How do we endure suffering? Because we all face it. The short answer that Christians give you and it's the right answer is that we trust in God. And that is, that's true. That's a good answer. However, there's more than we need to say. There's more than God says to us. There's more than this psalm says to us. It doesn't just yell at us to just trust God. It shows us how to trust God. It gives us a guide for trusting God. To say just trust God in the middle of suffering is always true, but not always very helpful. Again, we need to say a bit more and give a bit more detail. This psalm, Psalm 40, it's about Jesus. Okay, it's about David, again, in a situation he faced. It's about Jesus as well. It's, it's fulfilled about, It's fulfilled by Jesus. It's about his suffering and the way he endured that suffering and the way God delivered him. The biggest clue that this is about Jesus—it's uh, in verses six through eight, where it says, "In sacrifice and offering you've not delighted, burnt offering you've not required, but I have come to do your will, and your word is with your law is within my heart." In Hebrews ten, uh, the author of Hebrews says, "Well, these words are Jesus's words. This is what Jesus said when he took on flesh for our salvation. This is what Jesus says when he came into the world." He He didn't offer a literal sacrifice. He offered himself, though, in obedience unto the Father, and it fulfilled all sacrifice. Jesus, ultimately, is the one who has the law written within his heart. He is uniquely the one, as the Word of God incarnate, who has the law written in his heart. So these words, at least, are about Jesus, and really the whole psalm reflects Jesus' career, reflects Jesus' life of suffering and obedience and God's deliverance in the resurrection. Well, why that matters for us, why it matters that Jesus sang this song, why it matters that Jesus fulfills this song, is that Jesus' life is the pattern that we are meant to follow. Union with Christ is the heart of the gospel. It, it, it's, it's good news that we are united to Christ, that the Son of God took on our flesh and that we can be united in by faith, and we can receive the salvation. We can participate in all that he is and all that he's accomplished. This is the good news. Because he has overcome death, we will overcome death. Because he is raised up and justified and vindicated by the Father, we have the same hope because he is in the heavenly places. Ephesians 2 says that we are in the heavenly places. Union with Christ is this beautiful gospel blessing. But what union with Christ means, not only is Jesus' status... And sonship, our status in sonship, Jesus' story is also our story. And his story is one of suffering and then glory. One of exaltation, but exaltation through the cross. If Jesus' story is our story, we better learn how to endure suffering like Jesus because that is what his story is about, or a large part of what his story is about. Jesus' suffering is unique Of course, only his suffering redeems, only his suffering can reconcile us to God. But in 1 Peter 2, when it talks about how Jesus' suffering redeems us, it says, To this you are called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. We're meant to suffer with Christ. I think we're meant to suffer like Christ, to endure the way that Christ did, which is a lot of what 1 Peter has to say to us. So the question for the day, how do we endure like Jesus? All right, everybody faces suffering. The Psalms are addressing it everywhere. We want to live like Jesus. We want to endure like Jesus. How do we do that? Well, you have to know where to look. And I think this Psalm, it says a lot. It says a lot more than what I'm going to say. But it tells us to look back, to look out to look to others. All right, so three points. To endure suffering, we remember. We look back. To endure suffering like Jesus, we obey or look out. And to endure suffering like Jesus, we need to listen. We need to look to others. We need to look outside of ourselves. Okay, so first, if we want to embrace Jesus' story, if we want to sing this song with Jesus, if we want to follow Jesus in endurance, we need to remember We need to look back. This whole psalm, Psalm 40, it's a big act of remembrance. Uh, David is recalling some kind of trouble he's been in. Or, sorry, he's he's in trouble, and he's recalling former victory, former deliverance from God, so that he can endure in the present situation. So, if you look at verse 12, he talks about how evils have encompassed him beyond number. A lot of this evil seems to be that people are attacking him. There are those who are seeking to overthrow him. David, again, is, you know, his anointed king of Israel. And so there are people who stand against him. He has opponents. He has those who want to, sh- to shame him, who want to snatch away his life and bring him to dishonor, who say to him, aha, aha. So he has these real opponents in these real troubling situations. His trouble is also his sin, though. Evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see, my heart fails me. We might sympathize with this idea that he can't see because of his trouble, and his heart seems to not function anymore. Emotionally, he's not functioning. He's not seeing things the way he should. He's not seeing reality the right way. What does David do in the middle of this? He, He remembers. It starts by remembering how God has delivered him, how God has lifted him up out of the pit of destruction, how God has brought him out of the miry bog. It says in verse 2, He drew me up from the pit of destruction, set my feet upon a rock. This this also is a clue that this is about Jesus. The pit in the Old Testament especially, it basically stands for the grave. David is saying he was close to the grave. Well, Jesus literally is raised up from the grave. This is God's deliverance of him. But the this, this psalm looks back to say, "You know, God, you, you drew me up out of the grave before. You brought something like a resurrection. You brought something like deliverance. You drew me up out of the miry baga. A miry baga is something like if you've been in a swamp before. That's what we're thinking of. It's like you, you step in it and you just sink, and it, it's really hard to get out of. Right? Like it, it's it's clunky. You can't move around in it." And, if you sit there for long enough, well, it's kind of hopeless. Like, you can't find your footing. You can't move. And that's where David is feeling emotionally. He looks back to how God delivered him from that. To how God was with him in the pit of destruction and raised him up just the way he raised Jesus. And looking back allows him to remember something. It allows him to remember God's steadfast love. It allows him to remember God's thoughts towards him. That God has plans for him, that God considers him. In verse 6, or verse 5 rather, it says, You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and thoughts toward us. He's talking about how, God, your your thoughts for me, your, your consideration of me and my situation. And the deeds that come out of those thoughts, it's more than we can understand. It's more than we can recount. God takes thought of us. It's easy to forget that in the middle of suffering, just again, as Jesus says from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But when we remember what God has done for us, we remember his care, his concern, his steadfast love, and it allows us to endure. Uh, I think I might have mentioned last time, at one point in my life, just a few years ago, we... My family and I lived in Chicago or a suburb of Chicago for about two and a half or three years. Um, And we would go to the city some, and we would drive through the city a good bit. And sometimes I got to see a lot of the city because we're sitting in traffic on the interstate, right? There's six lanes of traffic, and we're all standing still. But pretty often I I didn't get to see a whole lot. My kids would see a lot more because, well, I'm driving. And that means stress when there's all this traffic, right? And so I'm focused on the problem in front of me. I'm focused on the road. So you don't see a whole lot because the stress narrows your focus. Well, that's true in general in life as well. In stress, in our suffering, it's like we can't see anything else besides the problem right in front of us. And we forget about everything else. And it's easy to forget the past. It's easy to forget who God is. It's easy to forget things that are true and things that you need to remember. If we want to endure, then we have to look back. We have to try to look outside of the situation. We have to look back to God's faithfulness, to God's kindness. Again, Jesus is our model here. He seems to do this. Uh, in John 17, it tells the story, you know, of Jesus' this high priestly prayer, this, this beautiful prayer that Jesus prays right on the eve of his suffering, right before he's arrested. He's praying for his disciples, and he's praying for his church that is going to be birthed through the, through the ministry of his disciples. And as he does this, it, it's interesting he seems to look back. He reflects on the glory that he had with the Father before the foundation of the world. And he, he reflects in his prayer on the love that he's had uh, from the Father eternally from the foundation of the world. Jesus, about to embrace suffering, about to walk into the suffering. No, like, He seems to strengthen himself by remembering who his Father is. The glory and love he's always received from his Father. He, he, he looks back in order to move forward. He looks back and it lifts his eyes up to his Father. And he's able to endure suffering and move forward in love. If we want to endure like Jesus, we have to remember. We need to remember all of God's goodness to us. All of the times he has been faithful to us. My wife and I, we have to do this a lot. We've, you know, God has been gracious to us to sustain us throughout many different seasons of life. It's remarkable how we get in a stressful situation now and we seem to forget all that. And we have to actually tell each other the stories of how God has provided for us in the past in very specific ways. We need to remember God's particular faithfulness to us, though. God has been kind to you. You need to remember those acts of kindness you might need to even say them out loud or write them down. We also need to remember, though, not, not just God's particular kindness to each of us. Above all, we need to remember what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. In Romans 8, Paul is talking about enduring suffering. And he says, God has given us his son, Jesus Christ. If he has given us his son, will he not with him give us everything that we could ever need? Why would God give us His Son? Why why would Jesus give Himself for us and then withhold something from us? In our sufferings, that's sometimes what we, you know, that's what we fear. God has abandoned us. God is withholding something I need. God, God, you know, He's forgotten about me somehow. But, no, like, if He has given us Jesus, He'll give us everything we need. If He loves us enough to give us Jesus, then doesn't He love us enough to pay attention to our every need and to walk with us through all of our life? It's easy to forget that, okay? We can be Christians. It's easy to forget all of God's love and goodness towards us. That's why we have to make real efforts to remember. Again, we need to speak this to each other. You might even need to write it down in the middle of your agony. To remember in this way doesn't erase your suffering. It doesn't make it instantly go away, but it helps you endure the suffering by faith and with the confidence that there is a God who loves you and is good. There is a God who thinks of you and considers you and has plans for your good. All right, so first, if we want to endure like Jesus, we need to remember, we need to look back. Second, if we want to endure like Jesus, we need to obey in the middle of our trials. We need to look out because suffering and stress, well, it, it heightens temptation. It intensifies temptation very often. The story of this psalm uh, is really that the psalmist David, you know, fulfilled by Jesus, but there's, there's this harsh test. There's a trial. You know, the, the suffering is a test, it is a trial. That's it's always what happens in Scripture. Suffering is seen as a test from God very often. And David, or really Jesus, who's the one who speaks these words in verses 6 to 8, he, he remains faithful and obedient. He doesn't just offer a sacrifice to try to get out of the suffering like an animal. Will say, God, please make this. Please erase this. But no, he, he offers himself. He delights to do God's will. That is his response in this trial. What is what comes out of this trial is Jesus's obedience. When he is tried, when he is put to the test, well, that's when his obedience shines all the more. He remains faithful in the middle of the test. We can think about. Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. Or we can even more poignantly think of his temptation on the cross. Or even as he is mocked and insulted, he stays faithful to his Father in the midst of great agony. It's instructive for us that there would be this suffering, um, that there would be this you know, harsh test, all this stress. And yet, Jesus responds with obedience. Uh, the psalm talks about how he doesn't turn to other gods in verse 4, how he doesn't put his trust anywhere else, how he doesn't take a shortcut, how he doesn't try to make himself feel better by sinful indulgence, how he doesn't try to use sin as a remedy for sorrow. We can think of David doing this, of course, but also Jesus doing it to an even greater degree. In life, there is always temptation. We're going to face temptation every day. It's part of being a human being this side of heaven is that we face temptation. It is much harder to resist temptation. Very often it's much harder to resist temptation in the middle of our suffering. Suffering and and stress, it seems to be an opportune time for temptation. Think about, you, you remember the account of Jesus' temptation in the Gospels where it says, you know, he's tempted by Satan in the wilderness and he resists reciting the word of God and Satan leaves him for a more opportune time. When you read about the crucifixion, you hear the same temptation. In the wilderness, Satan comes to Jesus and keeps saying, if you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God. Well, when you read about the crucifixion, what do they say to Jesus? How do they mock him? If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. If you are the Son of God, prove it. It's Jesus' suffering that has proven to be the opportune time for Satan. This is when Satan comes to him and tries to tempt him again. Well, the same happens in our life. Suffering is an opportune time for temptation. Maybe it's because it creates doubt. Maybe it's because we want relief from the stress. Uh, Maybe it's because you know when we feel bad on the inside, we just want to try to feel good in whatever way, and so we might try to do that in illegitimate ways. But for whatever reason, suffering, trial, stress is an opportunity for temptation. Um, A friend of mine told a story about how he and his wife and they had young kids. And they were kind of in the middle of a career transition. They didn't know what they were going to do. They, they felt God leading them in a different direction. And it was a very confusing time. Um, they didn't have like a lot of prospects, didn't really know what was going on, and, and so it was a lot of anxiety. And they were talking to their pastor about this, and the pastor looked at them and gave them advice. He said, just don't sin be obedient. You might not know what to do right now, but just don't sin. Now, the pastor wasn't telling them, you know, like, just grit your teeth and don't sin. You're capable of doing that, okay? He's, he's not being semi-Pelagian, big fancy theological word. He's not uh, calling them to perfection or getting them to trust the strength of their own will or something like that. <clears throat> the pastor was acknowledging that in the middle of this anxiety, like, it, <clears throat> you might be especially tempted to sin. You might be tempted to medicate somehow, it's an some illegitimate way. You might be tempted to try to take a shortcut somehow. The anxiety is an opportunity for sin, and he was calling them to stay faithful, to keep entrusting themselves to God and not entrust themselves to anything else, to keep pursuing righteousness and not look elsewhere. He was acknowledging that stress can be spiritually dangerous and helpfully calling them to faithfulness. <coughs> faithfulness and obedience <coughs> we cannot sin our way out of stress and suffering it will only make it worse sin is never the solution it presents itself as a solution it's never the solution again Satan's temptation of Jesus if you are the son of God is repeated at the cross but Jesus endured we read in first Peter 2 by entrusting himself to God while doing good, he, he entrusts himself. His obedience is an act of faith. He trusts that God is good, that his way is good. And so he seeks to walk in obedience. That's what we're being called to here. If you are suffering now, if you're facing great anxiety and stress, be on guard. There will be temptation that comes with that, it might be hard to recognize. Be on guard, entrust yourself to God. Believe in his goodness. Believe that his way is still the best way, that his way will still lead you through the valley of the shadow of death. Don't turn elsewhere. Sin always lies to us. It always promises to make things better. It never does. There might be a moment relief, but it always makes things worse. Remember the lie. It presents itself a solution. It's always the problem. Remember that. Look back to God and remember his mercy. And then look out for Satan's temptation. Trust God in the midst of this and devote yourself to faithfulness. Okay, so if we want to endure suffering like Jesus, look back to remember God's mercy. Look out for sin because it's going to be an opportune time for temptation. Finally, if we're going to endure temptation or endure uh, trials, we need to look to others as well. We need to listen to others. Okay, note in verses 9 through 10, there's an emphasis in this psalm on the role of community. Uh, David speaks of telling the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. He's, He's speaking what God has done for him. He's rejoicing in the congregation, in the gathered assembly of God's people, of what God has done for him. Why? Because we're made to share this good news with each other so that we can celebrate it and praise god as he deserves to be praised but also so we can strengthen each other so that we can benefit from each other's stories so we can benefit from hearing about god's faithfulness from one another because we need that the great congregation the church is a place where we remember and celebrate together we remember and celebrate the goodness and kindness and mercy of god and we share in the joy together and we need to hear the glad news of deliverance from each other. We need to hear the good news of the gospel from each other. And we need to tell each other about that deliverance. The psalm seems just it would be wrong to hide it. It would be wrong to hide the goodness and the mercy that God has shown from us. It would be wrong if we didn't declare to each other all of our reasons to praise God. This reminds us of Jesus as well. He also fulfills this. Jesus tells others of his deliverance. It's really interesting in John 20. This is after Jesus' resurrection. Uh, it's when the disciples show up with the women, and they, they see the empty tomb, and they're confused. But then Jesus speaks to Mary Magdalene. <clears throat> and she doesn't recognize him at first, but you know, he speaks, and she does. And she doesn't really know what to do, and she you know, comes and embraces him. And, and he says, do not cling to me, But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Jesus receives this deliverance from the grave, from the pit of destruction. He's delivered by the resurrection. And what does he do? He shares the news. He tells Mary Magdalene, Go tell the news to my brothers. Go tell them that I have risen and I am returning to God. He's sharing the news, the glad news of deliverance. He's a model, then, for... How to preach this gospel to each other. He's uh, and Jesus is sharing this news with his disciples. It's a kind of fulfillment of verses nine through ten. But it's not that just. It's not just that Jesus tells others of his deliverance. It's also that Jesus receives support from others. In Luke twenty-two, Jesus is praying in the garden of Gethsemane, and first of all, he seems to ask for the support of his disciples. He tells them to watch and pray. He he wants them to be praying. With him, and of course they fall asleep and fail to do that. But very interestingly, it says that when Jesus is, you know, again wrestling with the suffering he's about to endure, it says there appeared him an angel from heaven to strengthen him. Even Jesus, in his humanity, even Jesus, the Son of God incarnate, needed to be strengthened from outside of himself. Even he needed the ministry of this angel. It seems. It was, in some ways, more than what he could handle alone. Sometimes God gives us more than we can handle on our own. Maybe it's true that God doesn't give us more than we can handle. Maybe that's true. But it's only true because God gives us his grace and he gives us his people. By ourselves, everyday life is more than we can handle, (laughs) at least for me. Okay. By ourselves, there are all kinds of situations that are too much for us. We have to have one another because, well, to some extent, we are a means of grace to one another. We are meant to share each other's joys and bear each other's burdens. We're meant to remind each other of the truth and lead each other through pain and suffering as we do so. There's a book I recently read to my kids. It's called The K. You might have heard of it. It's often assigned in, like, sixth or seventh grade. Um, it's a story that takes place in, during World War II. Um. A boy named Philip is living on a Caribbean island. He and his mother are trying to go back to the United States. They are, well, the boat they're on is attacked, and so there's a shipwreck, and Philip ends up on a raft with this older Afro-Caribbean man named Timothy, who had been a slave. And because of the trauma of everything that happens, Philip loses his sight, I think he you know, it seems like he's an 11 or 12 year old boy, he, he loses his sight goes blind and so he's completely helpless he, he's adrift in the Caribbean Sea can't see anything for himself all he has is this former, you know, more of this Afro-Caribbean man that he doesn't really trust because of racial prejudice and so the story is about how Timothy has to see for Philip Timothy has to take care of Philip, and Philip, you know, the blind kid, learns to get his way around, but only because Timothy sees for him and teaches him and is able to tell him things. Timothy sees for Philip and is able to lead him to safety, and Philip is eventually rescued, as you might imagine from this. They end up on an island, and he's eventually rescued. But Philip has to learn to listen to Timothy and trust him even though he doesn't want to at first. Because he's blind, he has to learn to listen and hear truth from somebody when he doesn't really want to. In pain, it's tempting to isolate. If you're going through suffering, it's tempting to isolate, maybe because of a sense of shame, maybe because you think that no one understands or no one can really help you, but it's tempting to, want to isolate and not share our problems with others. But listen, that. That's a recipe for disaster in in many occasions. Because, again, we, we are blinded to some extent by our pain and suffering and trials. And we need what other people see. We need to hear about what they see. We need to hear the truth from them so we can be led through our suffering. In your suffering, don't isolate. Ask for help and be willing to listen. Be willing to let others share in your burden. And to let others tell you the truth. Be willing to take their advice and encouragement. God tells us that it's not good for man to be alone. That's always true. We have to look to others and be willing to listen to them, especially when the pain of life comes to us. In conclusion, there's you know there's plenty more that we could say again about how to endure suffering, even from this psalm. We could talk. We could talk about imitating Jesus' hope. The way he looked forward as well. Hebrews 12 tells us that it's for the joy set before him that he endured the cross because he he knew the glory of God that was promised to him. That too is essential. In our trials, we must remember the triumph. As Jesus was raised, so will we be raised with him and brought through all the pain and heartache and loss of this life into a weight of glory that is beyond our comprehension. Until we get there, however... We must endure. So this psalm teaches us something about how to do that with Jesus. How to look back at God's deliverance, especially His power at work in the resurrection of Christ. It teaches us to remember His love and mercy and faithfulness. It teaches us to be on guard against sin in the midst of our uh, suffering. It teaches us to endure by looking to each other and listening to each other. This is the song Jesus sang. It's the song He lived out as He endured suffering. He has set an example for us that we might follow in his steps by enduring faithfully. May God give us mercy. May God give us grace to do so. Let us pray. Father, this again is what we ask, that you would give us grace to endure faithfully. We're grateful for all the good that you bring to us. Lord, with the Psalms, we celebrate all that good, and we praise you for that. Lord, you are kind to us. Lord, would you help us to remember all this kindness for the difficulties of life. And would you help us to walk through those like Jesus did, with confidence in Jesus, with assurance that we belong to Him, and we'll be raised up with Him. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.